if there's one thing that I want that next black student and really anybody to know is that you have so much value and there are people who are going to be 100% invested in you. Even though you're not exactly, they're not showing themselves to you right away, they are out there and you just have to, have to keep going. You have to trust that you're going to find them. My name is West Givens and welcome back to the Tungsten Originals podcast. You just heard part of my conversation with writer, director, and activist Lee White. We discussed his first industry job after graduating from film school, the equality he's fighting for, and how to combat imposter syndrome. I'm so excited to debut the return of the podcast with this episode. Lee is one of the most thoughtful people I know, and I'm very proud of the conversation we had. If you enjoy this episode, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. It's truly a huge help. And if you do, I'll mail you some tungsten stickers for free. Just get in contact with us on any social media so I can get your info. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. Episode 59 of the Tungsten Originals Podcast. Lee, welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me. It's been a while. Yeah, it's actually been... Oh, wow, it's really been a long time. It's been a very long time. (laughs) Very Too long, I would say. You've been on the episode, or not the episode, you've been on the podcast three times. First time it was just you, um, and the second time it was you and Paige. So this is the... I think you're one of the first people to be... I think you're the first person to be on this three times, other than like Brooks and Kara, because I did a lot of episodes with them, so... Welcome. Yeah. It'll be like the SNL like five timer yeah, club the, thing. You get the you get the green jacket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I'm so glad that I'm so glad one that the podcast is back. It feels good to actually be interviewing people yeah. again. I feel like I'm a little rusty. I would, when I was setting up the equipment, I was like having to remind myself like this goes there and all that kind of stuff. Like red to yellow, yellow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I'm so glad that you're the first episode of this new season, if you can call it that, of the 2021 season, because you're one of my closest friends and I absolutely love the discussions we have about, you know, our lives, film, all that kind of stuff. So, um, and a lot has happened in both of our lives since, since you were last on the podcast, but also just since like we saw each other face to face, you know? So Plenty of things to cover. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know if you're counting the off the block thing. Um, right. Or well, that's I, entirely yeah. separate, you know? Yeah, exactly. So either way, it's been a, it's been a long it's time. Been a yeah. um, but <clears> for <throat> those who don't know you, I want to give you a little introduction. I assume most people listening probably know you in person, but maybe some people, this is their first time hearing from you. And they will, of course, fall in love with you just like the rest of the world has by the end of this episode. So you are a fantastic writer, director, producer, actor. Give them a little rundown. Pitch yourself to the, <laughs> to the audience, if you will. Oh, God. I mean, <laughs> things for me have kind of uh, changed a little bit and in terms of how I see myself. Um, mm-hmm. More importantly, I guess the things that I would want to add to that list, those are the things that I probably want to be the... Um, at the forefront, I guess. Right. A roundabout way of saying that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm 
you know, I'm a writer, director, producer, actor, as you said, but more importantly, as of late, um, just been a very staunch uh, human rights advocate and um, and recently added to the list of these different things that I, I've added. Um, I'm an author now, published mm-hmm. author. And those are those are probably the the two things that I'm probably most excited about. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, I don't know well, if I did a good job selling myself. <laughs> but, I don't think you really need to. Um, I totally agree with right. with both of those things. Um, and I'm excited to dive into you know both of those topics. I think especially last. I mean, I don't want to. I mean, I know we're going to talk about. 2020 but i don't want to sound like those people who are like man 2020 was like crazy because i think that can come off as like ignoring the actual issues that had been boiling forever and that boiled over last year and just almost saying like oh 20 you know whatever um but i think last year was a large time at least for me of like reflecting and i think maybe a lot of people can come out of that and think about how maybe describing themselves differently in a professional way or just like in a personal way, like you were just talking about. So um, I'm glad you brought those up because I think those are incredibly important things. Um, But backing up a little bit more, one of the biggest things to happen since we last on the podcast is that you have officially graduated from SCAD, double major in film and television production and performing arts, Mm. which, (laughs) (laughs) which not a lot of people have done. So for good reason, <laughs> right? <you know. laughs> right. It's uh, it's a long journey. I'm sure. Yeah, it's not that it's impossible. It's just that right. it's crazy. Yeah, exactly. So, how does it feel to be done with film school and acting school, if, if that's what you would call that? Um, it feels really good, and and. I know that every graduate will probably say it feels really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels really, really good um, because it was such a long journey for me. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a very traditional, what does that even mean? But I didn't have a very traditional like college experience and just to finally come through that, mm-hmm. it was, you know, that big sigh at the end of like the movie, you know, I had that moment and it was everything that I thought it would be. Um, Good. It wasn't, it wasn't like the moment where you're like, well, not what, like for right. me, it was like a, oh, yeah. you know, um, and it, it felt felt really really good i do i do miss the structure of it yeah, um same because i i loved having the routine i i love routine and um that's when i find you know myself being in the groove of things but all that stuff you can figure it out later it's just really good right. to be out you know mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah yeah And I think one of those things, at least that I would think about a lot when I was still in school, you know, it's, there's excitement to graduate, but it's the big question of like, well, then what is next? Because in a, in a lot of ways, college is like a safety net, 
You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's at a job, if you mess up, you could potentially get fired. But at school, it's like, well, <laughs> you know, you, you move on to the next yeah. thing. And so I know I was super worried about, like, in my mind, I just pictured, like, walking to a cliff. And I'm like, what else is, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I've had this structure for 18 years or whatever. And I know mm-hmm. a lot of film people right now, or SCAD film people, I should say, are, like, probably feeling the same way, especially with graduating with a film degree during a pandemic mm-hmm. is kind of weird. <laughs> well, I would say fear. it's, so the thing about it is I saw a post on Instagram and, and I hate to like be the guy who like calls up posts from Instagram, and, like, <laughs> but uh, I saw one and it said, if if the year 2020 didn't bring out the hustler in you, then it's just not in you. <laughs> yeah. And and I think I think that's very real because a lot of us graduated, we finished school, and you have to find a way to motivate yourself. Yeah. No one's gonna tell you go work on your senior project or mm. go work on this project with me. Um you don't have those incentives anymore. And so you have to, you have to have that in you already. Mm-hmm. And I honestly believe if you don't have that kind of motivation, that grit in you already, then it's not in you. And you're going to have to figure some stuff out probably. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. I think, thing. yeah, last year was definitely a huge test on like, it put a lot of things into perspective and for me realigned my priorities in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? In terms of like my relationships with people and how I want to spend my life and that kind of stuff. Um, but one of the reasons that I, that it took so long for me to post podcast episodes, and then I really only posted one that solo episode I did during last year or like after coronavirus started, um, was because it was so like it was difficult to be motivated, but it also felt as if um, because of the ongoing conversations about like the Black Lives Matter protests, I was thinking to myself, who wants to hear what I have to say? Like there, I, I guess I didn't want to like occupy a space that was already being occupied with like really important stuff. And just on top of that, it was hard to be motivated because it felt like the world was crumbling. So I guess the question is, did you at all feel like, did your motivation falter at any point or fade? Uh, obviously it's always been there in some capacity because we're still doing the things we are doing, but how would you like tackle that yeah. if, there, if that ever did come up? Yeah, it definitely did. I mean, it's, it's human. Like, yeah. I mean, some days you, you wake up and you don't feel 100% your best self um that happened quite often actually i mean even even actually getting towards the end of my college career i had so many things going on uh, mentally I, I was struggling with anxiety and um i felt like an imposter and i don't know if you've ever felt that way oh um, i've <laughs> I feel it right now. I feel it every moment say, of my I, life. <laughs> I feel like everyone that I've talked to, they've, they've oh, said yeah. something similar. 
Um, but I just felt like an imposter. And mm. there were a couple of different opportunities coming down the pipe for me. I just, I just felt like I don't deserve this. Uh, this could like be something that someone else could like really thrive in. And I, I felt like there was some sort of responsibility to go find that person <laughs> and tell them like, there's this great opportunity that was, you know, given to me, but I, I don't feel like I can do it, but I think that you can do it. And, right. you know, like how exhausting would that have been? Um, and, but, yeah, but that's, that's how your brain's working. Yeah. Like when you're like panicking and you feel like an imposter and you mm -hmm. feel like these things that are happening around you shouldn't be happening to you. And you start to turn your back on different blessings or opportunities that are coming your way. And yeah. I think that it's really, really important to have people who can like pull you out of that funk because, yeah. you know, I don't think that any one person is just, you know, someone who doesn't want to do anything. They just want to like wake up and go to sleep, wake up, go to sleep. Um, but we, we run into those spells when that does happen, right? And so for me, like it, it was happening all the time. Mm -hmm. I would have all of these cool things happening, but like later on that day, I'd be like, Oh my God, like, I don't, I don't deserve yeah. this. And you know, this opportunity is just going to be taken away from me because people are going to realize that I'm not, I'm not this person or I'm not mm -hmm. this thing that they've built up or maybe that I've built up, you know? Mm-hmm. Your thoughts when you're alone can be real dangerous. <laughs> yeah, that that's another like crazy part about last year is the isolation aspect of mm -hmm. it and how like you can get into. I mean, I get into the negative thought spirals, you know, like, and then I and then I start talking to someone and it like nearly immediately brings me out of it. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah, last year also just highlighted for me the importance to be connected with people. Um, yeah. but yeah, I think another thing when, it, when it comes to the imposter, uh, imposter syndrome thing is you really tend that inner voice tends to delegitimize all of the cool stuff that you're doing, all of the projects that you're doing yeah. because you're like, you know, you think, oh, well, I, I made this really great thesis film, but like a lot of people have thesis films how different is mine from the rest of, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's like you're in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is therapy. I, it's you, you can Venmo me, whatever it is. Mm. Um, I'm really affordable. Uh, <laughs> <your rates. laughs> yeah, I will. <laughs> but it's good to get validated every now and then about those yeah. projects, both by peers, like, friends and family whenever they say like, Hey, this thing is like genuinely good. And I, I think I can personally tell whenever people friends are telling me that something is good just because they're friends and want to be nice versus when they're like, no, seriously, I connected with this thing you made in a, B and C, but also whenever you're talking to, you know, you were talking about all those different like opportunities that you had. Those are people who like, don't know you on a personal level and they don't really, they are, there's no incentive other than being a good person to like be nice to you and flatter what you're doing. So yeah. whenever someone who is like, I guess, higher up in your career 
quote unquote hard quote unquote it's like oh wow someone who is has more experience than me is like noticing this that's always a kind of cool thing in my opinion yeah and i know you had a lot of that last year yeah oh my god (laughs) oh my god yeah (laughs) i i tell you i okay so just like a quick rundown of what like last year was like for me okay i was really lucky i had a really good friend his name's glenn and um he had a job with google and he walked away from it and i I forgot about this oh my gosh (laughs) he had a job with google and he walked away from it and um his supervisor tim at the time really needed someone to like just step into it and they were ideally looking for someone that they really wouldn't have to train mm-hmm. um, and pour pour a lot of money into like training this person and someone that they could like just like leave you know mm-hmm. you know basically long story short like glenn gets me into this position right and so i start working for google uh through the pandemic mm-hmm. and it was an easy paycheck. Um, the work was easy. I, I know IT very well, so it, the work was very easy. I wasn't spending a lot of time or energy on it. But the thing about it was that that imposter syndrome like really took over. Mm-hmm. And it took over in such a way that I actually you know, ended up quitting and when i quit it was like now what do i do you know? <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i still need to eat <laughs> it's like i i gotta eat i gotta you know and so i think for a week for like a solid week i was completely out of sorts didn't know what to do um i was going to therapy at that time still am and you know, my therapist, like, was the one who was, like, you know, fortunately, like, helping me, like, refocus uh, mm. and, like, pay attention to those things that um, could pull me out of the mud, you know? And I, I, I mean, it's important to have those people who can do that for you. Yeah, 100%. Just especially with all the, th- all the, all the things last year that happened that none of us had ever experienced sure. <laughs> you know sure. what I, mean? I think it's it also uh, just another thing is i got better last year at giving myself slack on things mm. um like when it came to this podcast my you know my girlfriend and friends can tell you i was so hard on myself about making it sound like amazing like i would spend many hours on the post-production process cutting out every tiniest mistake that not a human would notice but like i knew it was there yeah (laughs) i I remember (laughs) yeah yeah exactly um and if it wasn't up at friday at 9 a.m i was really hard on myself at that um and then i started getting better like well it'll it'll go up on the weekend and then it got to um the episode with kate elizabeth which was the last episode pre-pandemic that i started taking a break because my senior classes were crazy. I was helping produce uh, this short called Pink. And then, you know, the world changed forever. And <laughs> I stopped posting episode for a little bit. But like, yeah, yeah you'll always be your self's biggest critic. 
Um, and I think there are good things about that because it means that you are, um, or at least I am always striving to be better. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you don't want to be like your worst, the worst voice ever in your head yeah. because you need to give yourself slack to actually create things and be a person, like be a normal person outside of all that stuff. So um, I'm glad that you like had that person because I think everybody needs that in, in some capacity, whether it's yeah. therapist, family, friend, like people you play video games with, like whatever it is, it's good to get out of your own head. You know what I mean? I, and the, the great thing is, is that I found that person in so many other people. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't just my therapist, you know, yeah. um, it was so many people. Mm -hmm. um, it is absolutely wonderful. I sad with uh, Professor Sadwith, he, the, okay, so I told you uh, about getting towards the end of college mm -hmm. and like feeling like an imposter. I was like, oh my God, like, I don't want this. And like, I had so many things happening. Um, you know, I, my brother, my brother was a big part of, you know, me wanting to finish school. And, you know, that was, that was really really important to him mm -hmm. and it's not to say that it wasn't important to me because it was um but it was really really important to him and um he passed away and here it was i was getting close to the end and you know at the end you know big ceremony and like your family yeah. Here, yeah, yeah yeah and so like for me that was like oh man, like every time I woke up in the morning for an 8 a.m. class, it was all I could think about. Mm -hmm. um, it'd be the first thing on my mind as soon as I log on on the mm -hmm. Zoom class. You know, yeah. That's the first thing I Zoom think college. Yeah. Um, and I started to self-sabotage myself. I, you know, I would write or do the assignments and I would, I would do it. But the professor would be like, okay, where's yours? And I'd be like, no, I don't have it. And in my head, it made total sense. Um, As it always you know, does. I'll sabotage myself and I'll give myself another quarter. And, you know, and in my head, it, it seemed totally logical. I, I wasn't worried about it. It's just like, that's just what I'll do. And I'll just come up with some excuse and tell other people like, oh, I wasn't able to graduate because of whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had already worked it out, you know, and professor Sadwith, he texted me and was just like, what is up? <laughs> um, he was like, you have not turned in your assignments for like three weeks. Yeah. And which is, so people know nearly half of the quarter it's Yeah. So that's a um, big deal. And he was like, you haven't turned in for three weeks and uh, fortunately I've had professor sat with like four or five times yeah. at this point. And so we're very familiar with one another. Um, mm -hmm. we communicate regularly and he knows that it's abnormal or, or just kind of odd. And so, um, we talked and we we had a Zoom meeting, uh, which was absolutely miserable. I cried the entire <laughs> I cried the entire meeting. <laughs> um, 
I cried the entire meeting and, um, you know, he, he really helped me. And so it was around that time, it was getting close to my brother's birthday, uh, which mm. is October 20. And that's you know, the same month I, as my brother. Fun fact. It's well, my brother's birthday is five days before my birthday. Oh, wow. It was just getting close. And it's like my body could sense it. It could feel it. Um, I was just tanking really, really hard, but Professor Sadworth, you know, honestly, without him, like, and then so many other people, my mom and uh, just other family members who who I could really talk to. I mean, I would have been dead in the water. Mm -hmm. Professor Sadworth is like a great professor in the educational sense, but just like as a, he's one of those, like, I think he's like a mentor, you know what I mean? He's the reason why I have, you know, the job that I have now. Yeah, he's just been absolutely completely instrumental for like all these different successes happening in my life. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you brought up your job because I want to talk about that. This is your first post film school job, which is a big deal. Well, actually, actually, it's my second. Oh, really? Yeah, a lot of people don't know about the first one that I had because it was it was like really short lived. But uh, what was the so, first one? Now, now I'm curious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you don't the mind, the first one. No, I don't mind. Uh, the first one was it was like honestly the perfect gig. Um, right out of school, the last time that we we spoke on like you know this kind of was um, over the summer mm -hmm. for the Off the Block Film Fest, and. Right. Um, it was during like the big momentum of the Black Lives Matter movement. Since that summer, I came into the fall quarter just beating this drum. Like, mm -hmm. I want diversity. I want inclusion. I want to shake some shit up. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I know I must have drove people crazy. <laughs> and I... <laughs> you know, and honestly, like rightfully so, you know, <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> every I mean, every class, like I was on the same soapbox mm -hmm. beating the same drum because like I wasn't seeing anything change. And mm -hmm. I remember I remember this guy, Jimmy Benedetto, um, who's a career advisor at SCAD, he comes in and he's like talking to everybody. And then he goes to me, he's like, why do you want to be? you know, a filmmaker. And I just exploded on him. <laughs> I wish I could have been there. <laughs> you oh, know, I, I exploded on him and, you know, um, God bless him for taking it. But <laughs> I, I exploded on him because I was like, look at our class. I was like, how many black people do you see besides me? And, you know, quick answer, none. Yeah. And you know, that was the case for most of my classes. Um, I was either the only black person or I was the only, or I was like one of two, <laughs> you yeah. know, that's extremely tough. Um, especially when you've been at the school for, you know, five years, mm -hmm. because I've never had a black professor and I've never been in a class with, you know, more than, you know, two black people. Uh, at a time in these classes and they're usually classes of like 20 people or so yeah 
so that's that's really really tough and i was telling him my big purpose is to find inclusion and to like be that representation that can like i don't know probably show other black students or black parents that oh you know that that student he's black and like he did this and he did that and you know he was you know did pretty well for himself and so on and so that's that's really what i want and i you know not so calmly <laughs> told him that <laughs> and so that was that was my whole whole fall quarter but um at the end of the quarter um i had an opportunity to work on a documentary that was being executive produced by leonardo dicaprio uh greg palast and david ambrose and it was about voter suppression in georgia oh the stacy abrams one yeah oh that's mm-hmm. amazing yeah so i i worked wow and um I was an associate producer and also a, a camera operator. Um, wow. So I I ran all around, you know, Savannah, uh, a little bit of Macon mm-hmm. and a little bit of Atlanta, mm-hmm. just talking to people. And I had an interview with uh, the mayor in Savannah, Van Johnson. And um, yeah, that that was my first first gig um right out did that come from your conversation with benedetto with jimmy no it didn't no, okay didn't at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was it was one of those ones that i kind of i i was fortunate to stumble upon it because you know a really really wonderful friend uh set me up to you know have this interview and then i got it mm-hmm. so that was really incredible mm-hmm. because you know, that's, that's, you know, I, I've quickly figured out that that's the line of work that I want to, I, I want to be associated with, you know? Mm-hmm. And after that, it was like, you know, well, now what do I do? Oh, right. That's the question, is it? Well, now what? <laughs> yeah. Maybe that'll be the title of the episode. Now what? <laughs> yeah. Now what? <laughs> um, I wrote a script and for, for Professor Sadwood and um it was just a story about my family and it's probably the most personal thing i've ever written and without a doubt the best he Mm. he kept talking about uh this friend that he had that he wanted me to meet and talk with and um and so he introduced me to him and it's clyde phillips who is you know the architect of dexter Little show, a little indie show. Little, little show on Showtime. <laughs> um, me and Clyde, we hit it off. Um, I mean, actually, he he just texted me just now, actually. But, oh, nice. Um, <laughs> Let's bring him we, on. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we've got a really great relationship, which surprises me because, you know, he, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people would even suspect that like we i mean we've got to be the most odd couple that (laughs) (laughs) you could you could imagine you know right yeah so what like now i'm glad you you brought that up so and i know that there's like nda stuff so you can't tell us everything but Mm -hmm. can you give a little bit about like what you are doing with him 
So I am an executive writing assistant uh, for for Claude Phillips on Dexter. Um, and my job is really just to be a sounding board mm -hmm. and also, you know, keep keep him, you know, going mm -hmm. by whatever means, you know, that's and that's what I do. I think the coolest part of the job is that, you know, we have opportunities where where we're in writing rooms or we're having different like meetings with like executive executive producers of the show or either directors of the show. And we're literally trying to figure out the best way to communicate a story. Truly adore about working with him is that he has such a capacity to tell the correct story um, while also being honest and true to um, the cultures that are being represented in the story. Mm -hmm. And it's such an incredible thing. Um, and it's a small thing, but it's, it's one of those things that people don't do. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that was like a really big thing for me. Like when, when I was mentioning that off the block thing was that, you know, I wanted people to have more diverse crews, diverse stories. It's still not happening. Yeah. And, you know, despite all of that and having those opportunities where people were like talking to me and saying like, oh man, you know, that was so brave and yada, yada, yada. It's still not happening. Yeah. Um, and so having that, on this side mm -hmm. and then like going with Clyde over here and he's, I mean, he's talking to people from that culture and asking them questions about like the legitimacy of like the scene that, that mm -hmm. he's wanting to do. And that, that, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful thing to be, yeah. be a part of. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. <laughs> That's awesome. It, I mean, it's a wonderful thing yeah. to really be a part of. I think, do, do you think the, the, the moral of that story is that at the end of the day, when it comes to those different, um, things about like making the film industry better, like one of, one of the three pillars of tungsten is, uh, ushering in a more fair and just film industry. So, I guess a lesson that I I get from that, from your experience of speaking up at off the block, which I'll explain what that conversation was after this, but speaking up there, having more people than you know, come to you and tell you how great it was. And then not seeing change in that community versus seeing change at your new job. What that makes me think is we just have to do it ourselves. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? mean, and the crazy thing is, is that, I mean, this is like, this is Hollywood, you know? Yeah, <laughs> quite literally. This is literally Hollywood. Yeah. And they can do whatever they want. Right. It doesn't matter. The product is still going to sell, mm -hmm. you know? And that yeah. has been the case since the 40s when mm -hmm. they were making motion pictures. But the fact that they're willing to and that mm -hmm. they want to um, and that they're actively seeking things out. Like they won't make a move on like a specific thing 
because Clyde is telling them, I want to make sure I get this right. So before we like move on, I want to talk to every single last person that I can talk to to make sure that I am appropriately representing, you know, these groups of people. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling a story not through, you know, my eyes, but I'm telling a story that they can like very easily see it through their own eyes. Um, to me, that seems like kind of a juggernaut of a of a task to like take on as opposed to something at film school which is honestly as easy as having a conversation and that's it and so to not see it come through Mm -hmm. and film school was extremely disappointing um i lost out on opportunities because of that then to turn around and see that my passion for wanting diversity and like you know actively seeking it out leads me to this absolutely wonderful position so right it's 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 a it's a good feeling and you feel you feel like you know change is actually happening yeah and for all of those you know black filmmakers or black students who are at, you know, that film school, you know, whatever film school you're at and you don't feel like you have a voice and that people aren't listening. I would hope that you, you would listen to something like this, like a story like this and just keep, keep pushing because there are so many people who are listening and they're going to find you especially if if you know what you're doing and you're the best person for that job, they're going to find you and they're going to put you in those positions to succeed. So. Mm-hmm. I think that really speaks to the whole idea of like speaking things into the universe. If you want to use mm-hmm. that term, like if you want something, you get it, you make it known, you, you tell, you tell those around you. And so I think that's one of the best examples of that because then people who don't know you personally or like closely i mean they hear about lee and they're like he's the person who is all about x y and z you know what i mean and that indents them into their brain which is amazing but i want to i want to circle back to off the block and and bring people specifically to that moment because i'm sure there are people that are unfamiliar with what that was basically off the block was a film exposition put on by, I guess I should say is, I don't don't know if they're going to do anything 2021, but uh, it was a film exposition put on by SCAD students that was all about showcasing other film students' work. You know what I mean? They did the first one in 2019 in a theater on Tabby Island, which is outside of Savannah, um, where we went to film school. And last year they did it virtually over Zoom in Vimeo because of course we couldn't be together and I hosted it. So they um, wanted me to be the host like, you know, introduce the panels and stuff and lead Q and A's with the directors, um, which I was like super honored about and enjoyed doing because I love talking to filmmakers. Obviously that's why we're doing this right now. But um, yeah, so I think that was in June, like the very beginning of June, I think is when the actual exposition was 
And uh, basically, we had uh, a block. I forget which specific one, but we were talking to filmmakers. And one of the things that we could do, since it was all live over Zoom, is people could ask questions like live on air. They could join the Zoom call, ask a question in person, and then we could discuss it. And so I was, you know, hosting this block. And I think we were talking about, I think the overall topic was like how we as filmmakers can speak truth to the Black Lives Matter movement. Because as you pointed out in the early summer, that was like the conversation happening. And yeah. off the block before it started had announced that they were going to donate all of their proceeds to like three specific organizations that address those things. And then you joined the call and asked a question. Um, and I was so glad that, you know, I think you're, you're the perfect person to bring this up because you're so honest. And that's one of my favorite things about you and genuine and like address topics head on, which I think is what we need. But do you want to give like a little rundown of specifically what you brought up and then the aftermath? Because I know that was kind of a crazy, <laughs> that was kind of a crazy couple of days. Yeah. Also, I hope I explained that well. <laughs> no, I, I honestly, I'm glad that you did because I, I realized that I, I've been like recalling it. Um, <laughs> You're good. But um, it's because we both know what it is. So, yeah, I mean, the Off the Block Film Fest, it was supposed to be this festival that wanted to support Black Lives Matter. And the whole point of Black Lives Matter is to uplift the voices of Black people. And the first day of the festival, you know, I looked at all the films and I was familiar with all of them, except maybe one. And even with the people in those crews. And, um, mm -hmm. You know, I sat through the whole day and I, I watched all the films and I watched all the panels and there wasn't a single black person on any of those panels. And well, I mean, there wasn't a black person on any of the panels throughout the entire festival. There weren't any um, black writers really. Um, I think there was maybe one for Oasis of the Mind that I can think of just off the top of my head. Uh, which is Aaron's, Aaron Grudadoria's film. You know, it, it was just this festival that was supposed to highlight Black voices, which would have been excellent to, like, talk to some of, or if any, uh, of the Black people who contributed to those films. But in most cases, like, they were either an all-white crew, cast included, or there was only, like, one Black person on the crew, which... Um, I can attest, like, was me for, like, <laughs> most most of them. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I just went on there, and I, I was just, I wanted to know what they were going to do moving forward in terms of actually seeking out having a more diverse cast and crew. Because I can name... Off the top of my head, I can name you know ten black SCAD students who graduated from SCAD with maybe like one or two things on their reel, mm -hmm. which which is hard um, because the reel is what the reel is like your resume. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were you know a production designer and someone only gave you one chance. 
throughout your entire SCAG career. I mean, that's you only get chances to show that one thing to whoever you're hoping will hire you. And that's like going into a job interview with only one reference. Yeah. You know, there's only one person in the world that you can call to like tell you that I'm a good worker. (laughs) And it's like, that's just not enough. And often you will not get the job. And so that that's the case. And I want, I want that to change. I mean, that ruffled the feathers in a good and bad way. People were really excited because they wanted an opportunity, I guess, to, to show that they could like be more diverse and things like that. But I mean, for the most part, I mean, the issue still persists. Like I, I see Indiegogo's going up all the time with films that are just white cast and crews. It's just kind of sad that it's still not changing. Um, Yeah. Especially considering the overwhelming support that you got from that. I mean, it was like a three day event. First two days were student blocks and the last day was a feature you know, you got like, I remember you telling me that you got a ton of calls, like a lot of people deemed you on Instagram, like so many people, you know, were rolling out the red carpet, which is good. You know, yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, it's like, I'm not looking for any like praise or adoration. I'm I'm looking for action. And, you know, I, I personally haven't seen it yet. Mm -hmm. And, I think something that I brought up during those uh, panels is that you hear whenever we talk about these like human rights issues that are um, persisting these days, you hear people say like, why is nobody talking about this? We should be talking about this. And I think this is to your point, the discussion, the conversation is an important part. It's important to sit down and, and talk to people who, agree with you, think differently, have different points of view and think about how you can make the world better. But then you actually have to go and act. You can't have like, I guess what I'm trying to say is you can't have one without the other. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to just go out and start doing things when you haven't talked to people who have different viewpoints or different backgrounds. um, Cause you need to hear their voice, but then just talking is great. And you can, I mean, you can change minds, I guess, whenever it comes to like one-on-one conversations, but the, the issue you're bringing up is not why is nobody talking about having a black crew? It was why doesn't anybody have a black crew? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, that's, that's a sad, that's a sad thing. Yeah. Yeah. For anyone listening, I don't want to make it seem like, it's your job, you know, but like you said, there are steps that each and every one of us can take. Changes are going to happen, you know, in a vacuum. You have yeah. to keep doing it. You can't just, you know, one time was enough. It's not that sort of thing. You know, you have to keep doing it and you have to keep encouraging people to do it. And if people see your dedication to it, you know, that, that can be something that's infectious. If we don't do it, then nothing's going to change. So, right. um, we just have to. 
Yeah, 100%. Something that I wanted to bring up in terms of like how you were talking at the top of the episode about how you would change, how you would describe yourself and one of those would be an activist. I, I want to talk about one of the things that you have done that directly aligns with that, which is like one of my favorite things that you've done. And it's your book, A Crown of Feathers. Mm. And um, we received a couple of people asking about it because it is a, universally adored, at least from, you know, from the people that I talk to. Uh, it's such a cool thing. Yeah. Can you tell the audience for those who don't know a little bit about what A Crown of Feathers is and how it came to be? Yeah. Um, well, like I said earlier, I, I have been going to therapy. My therapist is a, is a grief uh, specialist. Okay. And um, before my brother passed, he paid for this grief specialist for me for three years. So I, I had been going to him for, for a while. And it started off as trying to communicate with people that I potentially have wronged or wasn't totally upfront with or not being my you know truest self around them, that sort of thing. It was just trying to have a moment of honesty or vulnerability with them, uh, which is something that I have struggled with. And um, just trying to talk them through what I've been going through and why it may have been difficult at that time to communicate or to be my truest self around them. And um, in many cases, relationships that might have been, you know, lost because of, you know, and unwillingness on my part to either change or, you know, open up or, you know, reciprocate different things in the relationship. So um, I started started writing these letters. Um, but a thing about me is that um, anything that I write is going to be very flowery. That's just how it is. <laughs> um, I, I can't help it. Yeah. And so I started writing it and I, I let my, you know, therapist read some of it and it made a comment saying that it, it felt very, very poetic, uh, specifically one that I was writing to, to an ex of mine at the time. I said that it sounded and it seemed very poetic and that's when the idea kind of hit me. I was like, maybe I could, I don't know write all of these just like with the intention of it being a poem and mm. collect them all together. And I think the next day I was like, I can make it a book. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's, it's so crazy when I think about this timeline. So this is, this is a timeline. I quit Google and then next week I started writing a book. I didn't know it was that quick. Yeah, and next week wow. I started writing a book and I finished it over the summer. Before mm -hmm. I knew it, I had around 380 80 so poems that I had written. And um, we got connected with this publisher in New York. Um, in my head, I, I really wanted to like add something else to it. And so we... Um, so I ended up reaching out to two of my friends, Luca and Kevin, to collaborate with me on it, um, providing some artwork and illustrations for the book. 
Here we are. Feathers. <laughs> it, it's so Kevin Betu is um, an artist and illustrator. He's one of like the earliest episodes of our oh podcast. He is simply the best. Can I just talk about Kevin? Absolutely. Um, first thing I want to say is <laughs> he and I recently played Super Smash Brothers together and he talked a lot of trash. <laughs> and, um, you know, you can talk to him about those results. But <laughs> Okay, we'll do a follow-up interview. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, ask him how it went. Um, <laughs> but Kevin, Kevin was absolutely wonderful. He took those poems, and uh, the thing that I loved the most about it was that he and Luca both took so much ownership of the poems and really, really catered to the levity and the honesty that was in the book. And they came up with these wonderful illustrations and drawings that are scattered throughout the book. I remember when Kevin gave me the first illustration, I cried for the whole day, I think. Because um, he, he, I think he tried, I think it might have been the time when he tried to call me and talk about it, and I, I couldn't even talk to him about it because I, right. I, was, I was just crying because he had, like, captured the feelings that I, that I had for so long um, in that way, like, also sort of validating me. And it, it just was a wonderful thing. I owe him a lot. Yeah. They're really, I mean, he is like just so talented in like all of the work he does, um, you know, so I, this isn't to discredit his other stuff, but like the crown of feather stuff is just like, it's so, it's so cool to go back to the stuff that he was making whenever I first interviewed him, which was like mm -hmm. early 2019. And then to see that work and it's just like, he is amazing it's just so it's so cool to see an artist grow and have their work be displayed in that fashion. It's, it's so amazing. Well, if you're, if you're listening to the audio version of this, we have a video version on our YouTube channel. So we'll throw up some, some of the illustrations that we're talking about and you can see it. Um, but also one of the like coolest things is, you know, where the money is going to. So yeah. talk about that and how much money have you raised? Um, yes. Um, which is a very significant amount. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, I think the biggest thing, um, cause I had a conversation with Kevin about it. Um, it was over the summer. Um, and again, kind of like the thing that it's kind of like really the defining moment was this black lives matter movement that was happening as that was taking place. It seemed as if there were an even bigger struggle happening within the black community itself, which was black people picking and choosing who gets a chance to fight this fight mm. uh, for racial equality, true racial equality, specifically a moment that, that really, really wounded me, honestly, uh, was it was a mob of 30 or so men at a gas station who attacked this woman, uh, this black woman, uh, because uh, she, you know, had transitioned from man to woman and they attacked her uh, because of that. It just seemed like 
the Black trans community, they were strong advocates for the Black Lives Matter movement. But it just seemed like some parts of the community were picking and choosing who gets a chance to fight this fight. It's like, this is their fight as well. This mm-hmm. is all of our fight. Right. Um, and I, I just felt like, you know, I, I talked with Kevin. We just kind of felt like the spotlight was not the right size. Um, or it, it was only focused on like one specific uh, facet and it needed to be much brighter. And mm. so we um, chose to donate the proceeds for the book to Black, tra- Black Trans Lives uh, specifically. I mean, I got to be honest, I did not. I wrote this book uh, with the intention of people getting to know me a little bit better because, like I said, with several people in my life who I wasn't exactly, you know, the most open and honest with, you know, I wasn't exactly open and honest with a lot of the friends that I had made over the years. You know, there were still things about me that I didn't share. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I made that book as an opportunity for people to see me and Mm -hmm. see like what sort of things I had gone through, um, why maybe I am the way I am. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And um, I, honest, honest to God, I thought maybe like 50 people might buy it and, you know, we could have a nice conversation about it, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. (laughs) We have raised 75,000 plus dollars um, for Black Trans Lives, which is incredible. The response to that book has been uh, pretty, I mean, it's jaw-dropping. I actually, I have my phone here. I'm gonna, (laughs) I'm gonna show you a picture okay uh, that i took uh i visited clyde's place um here because he needed some help with some things and so i went over to his place and he's got like his little nook over here and i was walking by it and then i like something caught my eye and so i stopped and was like what (laughs) and i'm gonna put this up here this wait that is my book yeah. on his nook, you know? <laughs> and so that's your book on his I mean, nook. That, that was that was just a unbelievable. That's a that's thing. a moment, you know. <laughs> he he told me he's like, Hey, you, you need to sign my book, because uh, I'm gonna sell this on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> um he bought my book, he he he's read it, he says that he continues to read it. And mm. I mean, he's told he's told literally the entire crew here at Dexter about the book. So, wow. you know, only a matter of time for that conversation like starts <laughs> happening. Um, but I mean, it's it's a it's truly truly incredible. Um, I yeah. mean, people people are still purchasing it, and mm. I I just never saw that happening. Um, yeah. So it, it's been been a really cool thing. Um, I signed a contract, and I have one more book on the deal. 
Oh wow! Uh, which, which I, whoa! I, I didn't know. I I didn't know the level of like your association with the publisher. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, wow. So it was for two books. Uh, Crown of Feathers satisfies one, and the next one is uh, Boys Don't Cry, and that'll probably be coming out like next year or maybe this year, depending on how. How fast I crank it out. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I think I'll probably take some time and just, you know, let let a crown of feathers be, you know, yeah, its own thing for a while. Um, mm. But I've already started writing the second one, and probably fifty or fifty or so poems, wow, slash short stories in. That's amazing. I'm. Yeah. I mean, I'm so excited to to see it uh yeah. we have a submitted question from one of our oh. lovely audience members carly cool. sullivan friend of the show been on the podcast before mm. um she asked what's your favorite what was your favorite part about creating the book um my favorite part about creating the book was i had never really talked about it was writing about my brother um i never talked about him with anyone and that always just felt like way too personal and I'll never, no one will ever get an opportunity to see that side of me. And that was the second to last one that I wrote. The very last one that I wrote was one of the quotes that he said to me, um, which was, it's never too late to be a gentleman. And I started writing about him it's a hard story to, to, to think about and talk about, but I was just, I just started writing and mm. it was just pouring out of me. I think once I put that last, last word down, it just kind of, it just all just kind of hit me. And, mm. um, I didn't put any periods in the book because I didn't want to me, a period suggests, that's the end and there's not a you know another opportunity for that sentence or that idea to grow any further like that is the Mm. end and so i didn't want to put a period throughout the entire book and i made that decision when i was writing that story uh, which was the last one and i didn't i just didn't want that story to be over and i didn't want that thought that that feeling to ever ever stop so I just kind of took the lead from writing that story to like go back into all the others and like remove every single last period that was there because I don't know, writing about him specifically, it it felt like it kind of like woke me up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I needed that. That was probably my, my favorite part about writing that entire, entire book. Gotcha. Um, what is the specific like organization or organizations that the funds are going to? Uh, there's a Black Trans Lives Matter group. Um, they okay, are still I, I didn't know if that was like the actual name of like the organization. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I knew there's that was like you know the group. issue, but you know. Yeah. Gotcha. Very very cool. Haley French asked, "How do you find the time slash inspiration to write?" when you're busy. And I wanted to add on to that question. How do you find the time to write when 
things seem really bad. And I guess I mean in terms of like last year uh, or really it seems like the news cycle always, especially we're recording this on January 9th. This year, this week was a pretty terrible week in terms of <laughs> what happened at the Capitol and yeah, everything. But absolutely. Um, I, and this is, you know, fear of sounding like an asshole. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's everything I say. It's funny. I talked to, to Clyde, who is now a mentor of mine. He, he goes for a run every morning, right? And when he goes on a run, this is going to sound crazy, but he takes pen and paper with him when he runs. Oh. Huh. And, you know, regardless of whether the idea is great or brilliant, there's always some sort of idea that's going to be coming at you or, and you can work with it or not work with it. But the idea is getting into the habit of always writing and always writing something down. It's a hard practice for sure. Um, yeah. Because sometimes when I, I, I remember when I, I started trying to practice that and it just, everything turned into doodles, you know? But I, I think the, the in interest of being totally honest and vulnerable that just like opens up so many different stories that you want to that you want to tell like for for instance for me just from from the summer till now or or from the summer until you know november i had written a book four different scripts um one of them being a feature and i think i think it's just once you start telling stories that are so deeply personal you start finding other little stories in in those little moments or things that you're, you're telling or you're talking about whether you're writing just a paragraph thing or you know a full-blown you know script or something yeah um just just do it and i know that that is easier said than done right but yeah you, you honestly just have to do it because like we said earlier, I mean, like finding that motivation is going to be like so, so, so difficult. Now you, you, you have to find new ways to push yourself, um, mm -hmm. which I'm finding new ways to push myself every day and keep writing and keep doing something. Um, mm -hmm. A big help is reading. Right. Read as much as you can because, I mean, you're going to be able to pull so much from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're getting we're getting near the end, and there's a couple a couple questions that I'd like to end on. The first mm -hmm. one, I think, encapsulates a lot of what we've talked about this episode. But you know, you just finished college. Mm -hmm. It was a five year experience. A <laughs> not, not that I need to remind you. It was a five-year experience, a long and winding road, you know, and now you are working professionally in the industry. There might be someone, let's say that there's someone listening right now who just started as a freshman at film school, whatever mm -hmm. film school it is, and they, let's say they're a black filmmaker or just a person of color filmmaker in general, 
and they like you don't see around them what they want to see in terms of the representation on crew and cast and just the stories in general. Um, and they're feeling hopeless. And of course, as a freshman, you know, like you feel you're probably going to be a PA on all the stuff that you start off with. So you feel like there's no way you you feel like your voice is maybe of less importance, maybe, which is not true, but you feel that way. If you could say one thing to that person, what would it be? I wish that I would have had people who who would have been truly, I guess, invested. Or I wish I would have known that people could be truly invested in me and not just whatever story I was telling. There was always one thing that I had, which was like confidence in my ability, uh, whether it be working on cameras or whatever you know i always mm -hmm. had confidence in my ability because a lot of it was just really technique you know as long as you did it right you did it right and that was it i wish that i had more faith or, or confidence in knowing that people could be invested in me as a person and not knowing that for certain kind of took me away from a lot of opportunities and experiences. But the first time that it was clear to me that someone was invested in me as a person, I started to flourish. If there's one thing that I want that next Black student, and really anybody, to know is that you have so much value and there are people who are going to be 100% invested in you, even though you're not exactly, they're not showing themselves to you right away, they are out there. And um, you just have to have to keep going. You have to trust that you're going to find them mm -hmm. or that they will find you. Right. I think that's fantastic. I think your whole story about how you started and where you are now totally speaks truth to that. So I'm so glad you said that. Um, yeah. The final question is actually from another audience, submitted one from Kara Ang, friend of the show, but on this podcast many, many times. She asks, what are you most excited about for 2021? Now, again, like I said, we're filming this uh, January 9th. So we're still in like new year time. When this comes out, it'll be February, but it's uh, we've, we've got a blank slate, quote unquote, ahead of us. So what are you most looking forward to? I think the thing that I'm most looking forward to is it, it's crazy because I'm, I'm I'm already doing it. I have been literally shoulder to shoulder with all sorts of people in this industry. I've, I've been on Zoom calls with HBO executives, uh, talking to them and learning from all of these uh, studio executives and you know executive producers for like. TV shows and things like that. And it just feels like the the best is yet to come already. So I I mean like I that's that's a tough one because like I feel like I'm I'm already doing it, you know. I right. that's that's like what you want though, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's and and it's absolutely wonderful. I I I know I know it's over, but I, I do want to tell you this. And I don't know if anybody listens or, or if anybody is like in tune with like universe or spiritual stuff like that, I'm not. I'm not really big on all of that 
necessarily, but there are little things that like totally catch me sometimes. I remember, you know, I, I told you that my brother's birthday is October 20, right? So I was I was talking to my mom maybe a month ago. I was talking to her and I was talking to her about Clyde and everything. And I told her, I was like, you're never going to believe this, but guess what day Clyde's birthday is? And she guessed everybody in my family. <laughs> and she, was, <laughs> she guessed everybody but the one person that I needed her to guess. She guessed everybody and was wrong. And she was like, well, whose birthday is it? And I was like, like Clyde has the same birthday as Tori. And she was Whoa. like, oh my God, wow. And then, then I said, you're never going to believe this, but guess when Professor Sadworth's birthday is? And she did it again. She guessed everybody, <laughs> but not the person that I needed her to guess, you know? Um, and so she's like, well, who's like, when's his birthday? And I was like, his is the same as Tori's as well. Like, and then she Whoa. she hit me with this. She says, how interesting is it that the people who have been like really helping you out this year share the same birthday as your brother? And it's like, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. Take that for what for what it is, you know. Mm. But I I do feel like the most exciting thing is like happening to me now, you know, and we're just going to see what happens next, you know, keep going. That is as someone who, and I, and I know all my friends, all our friends do, but as someone who only wants the best for you and wants to see you absolutely thriving, that is like the number one thing I want to hear. So thank you. I'm so happy for you. Thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for sitting down and doing this. I could not think of a more of perfect person to start off quote unquote season two of <laughs> you know, the new and improved podcast, I guess you could say it yeah. is always a pleasure to talk to you, whether it's being recorded or not. Um, <laughs> and I think that people will really appreciate your honesty. And that's, I mean, on a person to person, you know, as, as friends thing, that is like one of my most favorite things about you is that we just have such, honest conversations and sometimes they're difficult and sometimes you know they're not but they're always long <laughs> which i also <laughs> like um but i just think what people will be able to really connect with what you've said today so i'm so glad and i, I and i hope this message this episode goes out to uh the people who need to hear it yeah, you know what i mean absolutely Me thank you again you're you're welcome anytime of course i look forward to making more things together. Hopefully blueberries this year. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Um, but love you very much. Thank you for coming love on. Love you too, man. And uh, yeah, I look forward to the next episode where you tell us all the even more exciting things you're doing. Thank you everybody for tuning in. The next episode will be back out in one week and we'll see you in the next one. Bye.